0: Hello, and welcome to Stories RPG. I'm your host today, Daniel Hines, with my co-host here, Michael Lowe. Hey, hey, what's good? And today on Stories RPG, we're doing a little write light. We're going to talk writing a little bit. What I want to talk to you about today is my favorite figurative language. Like figurative language, Michael?
1: You know, I think I think I always think of figurative language in the in the greater context of descriptive writing. Whether you're playing a game or telling a story verbally, or whether you're writing one down, really, it's the ability to use words to describe what a scene is like and to make people feel like they're there, see the characters, feel like they're part of the action. That's what makes a story come alive, and figurative language is a huge part of that.
0: Yeah, these are this is these are just. Um... Listen, you use figurative language every day without realizing it. I'm sure it's it's all over the place. It's just kind of thinking about it purposefully and wielding it in a way. It's another tool in your toolbox, another brush in your um. Artists don't have toolbox, Michael. What an, what an artist keep all his brushes in? <laughs>
1: their uh, his leather what, roll, their art kit. Yes, I don't know. I'm like I'm a writer, and I'm like, what's my writing kit? I don't. Whatever your tools are, it's a tool for you to help it, do this the thing. tools right? yeah
0: so let, let, I'm gonna run you through them and um, yeah, we can kind of kind of touch on each one and see how you feel,
1: right? Dig it.
0: For the overarching theme of this episode, it's figurative language, but Imagine, listeners, if you will, a man in a snowstorm. It's just a a full, as heavy as you can picture, snowstorm, and there's a man in it. Okay, That's, we're going to start with that. All right. So keeping that man in the snowstorm, and by the way, I'm using a man in a snowstorm because it's about a hundred degrees here today. Uh, summer is in full <laughs> blast, and I just it's... want to imagine some being somewhere cooler than here, <laughs> some some cold. So, right, so we're going to keep, keep that man in the snowstorm in your mind. That's where we're going to run through this figurative language to kind of help paint a more full picture, right? Because you got a man in a snowstorm, but that, that gives you something, but it, you don't
1: have as much as it could, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting. You said as heavy a snowstorm as you can imagine. And I was thinking, see now, that's already figurative language. Because does does a snowstorm actually have weight? No. But describing something as heavy means you're describing how intense it is.
0: So already we're dipping our toes in there. There's an as in there too. It could, it could, you could interpret it as a simile even. And I think that's where we're going to start.
1: Ah, so we're starting with similes. Okay. So figurative language, category one, the simile. The similes are what you do. You do
0: every day. Everybody makes them. Basically a simile is comparing two things and you kind of bridge that comparison with a like or an as. So keeping our man in a snowstorm example, Michael, you want to give me some figurative language, a simile?
1: Uh, let's see. We got to imagine in a snowstorm there's going to be wind, right? So let me, let me use the wind to do a simile here. Here we go. The wind howled in his ears like a hungry wolf. That's a great simile. So
0: it tells you a lot, right? So here's what is good about that simile, Michael. I'm going to just talk about your simile for a second here not only does it has the winter, right? And you're bringing in a new sense. Before we had a man in a snowstorm, but bring in that howling wind. Now you have a soundtrack to it too. Now when people picture this scene, it's not just the man in the snow. It is the man in the snow in the wind, you know, howling around it. But it's not just howling. It's howling like a wolf, like a hungry wolf. And specifically when you do similes, tying it back, you want to tie it back to something thematic to the story, right? Like it could have howled like, I don't know, like your aunt when she stubs her toe. You know what I or, mean? Or yeah,
1: no, or like a a baby, uh, a baby crying for milk. Right. Yeah. And those certainly are howls, and they would give you a sound, but it'd be the wrong sound for a snowstorm. It wouldn't give you the right. the fear and the desperation of a a person lost in a snowstorm. I know you're hot right now, but we got to imagine this guy has the opposite problem, right? Yeah. It's just he's
0: he's chilled to the bone, and now you have this howling wind. And again, a simile as comparing it using like or as, so it would be the wind howled like a
1: wolf or like a hungry wolf, I think is probably the easiest, most straightforward. And I like the hungry element because what are we what are we adding to the story? It it changes, it personifies the 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 snowstorm a little, right? Instead of having the snowstorm be this this uh, this sort of oh yeah, it's cold and there's 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 snow falling, now it sounds like it's coming after the man. You have that element of maybe it's hungry. It's coming for him. And that's that's a nice element to add if you're trying to build some suspense and drama around, is he going to survive? How is he going to survive? How is he going to fight through this snowstorm and make his way to somewhere warmer? So yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's where I was going with that. I was looking for that little bit of despair. And you can change a scene a lot based on how you use figurative language. If this snowstorm was howling like a baby uh, who hasn't been fed milk, it would, it would kind of jolt you a little and you'd be like it, what? <laughs> you'd be a little surprised. Cause that's not exactly how you imagine a snowstorm would feel.
0: Exactly. And if you wanted, so we keep using like here. And if you wanted, uh, if you wanted to like, again, similarly like, or as, as the connecting word you could do, it was, you know, loud as a wolf, loud
1: as, or the wind howled in his ear as hungry as a wolf. Those both work, you know. It all it all comes back to you're comparing whatever it is to something that gives it a description that makes it feel more intense. I was thinking about um, another one, another simile. You could say the uh, the the wind cut through his clothes like a knife, giving that idea of like the wind is so cold that it feels like it's blowing right through his coat. Um, And again, this is emphasizing this sort of despair he's feeling and and the the drama of the scene.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. And to continue on the same train of thought, the the next figurative language I want to talk about is a metaphor. Now, a metaphor is just like a simile, truly, but you're not using those connecting words like or as. Those words kind of set it up in a simile. In a metaphor, there's none of that set up. So in a metaphor, instead of saying, the wind howled like a wolf you would say the wind is a
1: howling wolf. Mm. The, the key to metaphors, I actually kind of like metaphors. Metaphors take out that, that comparison. They don't say it's like a wolf. They, they say it is one, which is really cool because it, it, it kind of gives you this immediate feeling. Um, and I'm trying to think of another good snowstorm uh, metaphor here. And let's do, instead of the wind, let's focus on he was so exhausted um, he could barely walk. We could say his his arms and legs had tur- uh, had turned to lead. Now his arms and legs obviously didn't actually turn to lead, but lead is a really heavy metal. So what is the image? He's dragging his arms and legs. He's barely able to move. So it's another way to emphasize the drama of the situation and it ups the ups the ante by not comparing his arms and legs to lead. They are lead. He's dragging them and they're these heavy, metal things that don't move.
0: Yeah, and then, so if his arms are led, then maybe he's, you'd imagine they're kind of dragging, and I imagine he's kind of shuffling along, so you could say, go back to a simile, you know, he he shuffled like a mummy, like, fresh out of the tomb,
1: you know? <laughs> there you go. He uh, He staggered like a dead man. There you go. Terrifying. Terrifying. But you can feel the pain and the frustration. So, simile, the wind howled like a hungry wolf. And then we've got metaphor, his arms and legs had turned to lead. This idea of a direct, a direct comparison, it's not a comparison anymore, they just are the thing. This is
0: something, if you're writing for yourself, this is something you can kind of like take a second when you do it. Like sometimes a simile is better and sometimes a metaphor is better. Like if I was writing, um, just to go back to that first thing, like if I was writing and I wanted to say the wind howled like a wolf, to me, the more exciting sentence is the wind was a howling wolf. And then you could extend the metaphor by saying, give it a little more wolfish trait. Like the wind was a howling wolf stalking at his heels, you know? Ah,
1: and you've already gotten into a third category, um, which is really a subcategory of figurative language here. We've got the simile, the metaphor. You just personified the wind, did you not? I, I wolfonified the wind. You wolfonified the wind. I like it. Yeah. Personification gives. Uh, emotions and personal traits to things that don't have them. So example, every time you say something like, ugh, my computer won't work, it's mad at me. No, it's not mad at you. It doesn't have emotions. It can't be mad at you. You've personified the computer and ascribed emotions and intelligence to it, which don't really exist. So it's another kind of figurative language. You're describing the computer using humanistic terms. Um, Same thing, you could say something like the cold bit through his his toes, um, leaving them numb. Now, does cold have a mouth? No. <laughs> does cold bite you? No. But by saying the cold bit through his toes, you, you get this idea of this cold as being, again, hungry and gnawing at him and dangerous. And you get that that feeling of him feeling like he's being attacked by this storm. He's not just staggering through it. He's being... Aggressively attacked. So this is what figurative language does for you. Lets you really hammer home with uh, powerful descriptions that put people into your character's shoes and make the, the story really feel immediate.
0: Yeah. So let's add some more to our, to our snowstorm guy, right? I think the snowflakes maybe the snowflakes danced in the wind, right? Snowflakes can't dance. They're not literally dancing, but we're giving them that, uh, that human or living trait. They danced in the wind. And maybe the, the sun seemed to hide behind the
1: clouds or we could go with um, the snow mocked him whipping, whipping at his hair and teasing uh, teasing at the edges of his, his coat. Obviously the snow is not teasing him, but he feels like he's being mocked. Right. Why? Because you know, he clearly is going to going to be in real trouble if he can't find some warmth soon. So yeah, we've got the wind was a hungry wolf. We've got the, the, his leg, legs have turned to lead. We've got the, the cold biting through his toes and the wind mocking him and the, snow, the, the snowflakes dancing about him. All of these are ways to increase the intensity of the cold and the danger to the main character and describe the scene that don't involve the boredom of, yeah, you know, it was a snowstorm. <laughs> it intensifies it. and makes you feel that snowstorm the same way the character's experiencing it. That's what figurative language does. Right, and all these little things, all this figurative language can be extended, you can
0: return to it, you can use it to like influence like the character's thoughts. Say that that howling wind maybe uh, in the story he's worried that he's hearing actual wolves and maybe he's scared about it and he doesn't know what to think anymore. So to revisit here, we got simile comparing two things with like or as, the wind howled like a wolf, metaphor, you're comparing two things, you're not using like or as and it's it's not meant to be taken literally. This is again, you know, his arms were lead, it turned to lead. So just to compare and contrast, right? Simile, wind howled like a wolf. Metaphor, wind was a howling wolf. And then personification is giving human characteristics to objects. So the snow mocked him, the wind, the wind danced, the flakes danced, the sun hid, any of these things are personification. Giving like agency, giving thoughts and actions to something that does not have a, uh, does not have thoughts or actions. Yep. And then next up, we gotta, we gotta visit idioms, which is sort of a a different little subset of this. So an idiom is something that, it's a, it's a phrase that sort of on the face of it doesn't make sense, but like it's just something we've all grown
1: to know and agree on, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've got this uh, this line in my head from a, a famous rap artist who I'm a fan of. We keep the funk alive by speaking with idioms. Um, these are culturally accepted statements that that we all understand what they mean, but if you weren't from the culture, you wouldn't understand what it means.
0: Right. For instance, our, our Blizzard man, we could say he was caught in the dead of winter. Now, the, mm. the dead of winter doesn't mean anything on his face, but We people know that dead of winter is like the coldest, darkest part of the winter. And also using that word dead in this sort of bleak scene we're painting, you know, you get the power of the idiom and also that word dead reflects all these other kind of scary imagery you might want to put into a man stuck in a blizzard.
1: There you go. It was high noon. What does high noon mean? I mean, noon is just noon. It's 12 p.m., right? But high noon implies that the sun is directly overhead and it gives you that drama of the the high noon western style, you know, you can hear the the little wah in the background when you hear high noon from uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. You no reason for you all to know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, like so. For instance, I have some other uh, winter ones I thought of here. Like, if you're if you're trying to get to know somebody or trying to like break some tension, you might you're gonna break the ice. Yes, you might break the ice. Oh, I love it. That's good. I mean, you're not literally breaking any ice at a party, but you can break the ice and kind of make everybody laugh, right?
1: Ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute. And if you break the ice and, and you fail, somebody might give you the cold shoulder. Ooh, the cold shoulder, which <laughs> means
0: <laughs> they kind of ignore you. And again, just not a literal thing. Your shoulder's not cold. Their shoulder's not cold <laughs> and they're not giving it to you. But that's, that's just yeah. a, an example of an idiom. The, the kind of classic one you hear is like raining cats and dogs. Mm, which is uh just means it's raining very heavily and it's just it doesn't really make sense and if you look hard enough you might find some origin for it but it's just something you kind of grow up speaking in a language
1: you understand what it means even though if you look at it literally it doesn't make sense and i think in general
0: their idioms have their place but i think you you kind of want to avoid them if you can because idioms sort of run the risk of uh Another sort of adjacent term
1: to figurative language, which is cliche. Idioms can kind of be cliche. They can be. Um, sometimes they're just useful. So something like the cold shoulder is pretty useful in a very brief way. But, you know, hungry as a horse or eat like a pig, those those don't, you know, they feel kind of boring um, because people have heard them so many times. And that's what a cliche is, uh, an idiom that's been repeated so often that it's become kind of boring and 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 doesn't describe things in a fresh way. Right. So that's cliche and that's idiom. Not much to it, but good to note. Um,
0: again, use the interesting ones in your writing, but try to avoid the cliche ones.
1: Mm, There you go.
0: Next up, we have a couple little side notes here that I don't think they're as important as the big ones we've hit, but I do want to hit them. And this is onomatopoeia. (laughs) Now onomatopoeia is a funny word. It's a weird word, but it is an interesting concept. And, uh, I think good writers tend to use it a lot. So what, what do you think, Michael?
1: Oh, well, so I have a particular obsession with onomatopoeia. And it comes from, I, this is a fun fact about me, you might not know. I, um, I have my master's degree in Japanese. I've lived over there. I speak pretty fluent Japanese. And onomatopoeia is really common in Japanese. They use it way more than we do. It sounds that, that sound like the thing.
0: Yeah, so an onomatopoeia is sort of like a sound you hear, and then the word version is just spelled exactly like it sounds. So, like, for our intrepid winter explorer, maybe he's, maybe he's walking on ice, and I
1: think, you know... Yeah, so you the- could talk about the crackling of the ice, right? And the crackling actually sounds like that sharp sound. The reason I mention Japanese is they have a lot of great ones. You might say, uh, if something's pillowy and soft, you might say, fua, fua. And that actually sounds like that poof, right? sound that you would imagine when you fall into something fluffy. So onomatopoeia are those sounds that sort of evoke, they're they're the words that evoke the actual sound that the object makes. Um, Meow, that's not exactly what a cat says. If you have a cat, cats don't look at you and say meow. But you know, it's close. Meow. Like you can hear it. Um, Same thing with neighing of a horse. Naying isn't exactly the sound a horse makes, but it sounds similar to that sound. So I'd say like like boom
0: or buzz or clank, crash. splash even a little, yeah, crash, pop. All the Batman um, sounds. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the animal noises are,
1: but it's just, yeah, words that sound clunk. like that. So definitely clunk. Clunk and clatter, that, you know, that you because know, clatter has that in it. Yeah, and like click, I think, beep. Mm. Yeah, no, there's a lot of good ones, actually.
0: Most of the animal sounds, the meow, the bark, the wolf, these are onomatopoeias.
1: Yeah, I think the reason I always think about the Japanese onomatopoeia is they're really good at creating repetitive sound words that describe the sound of something happening, and then that becomes a word that they use for a lot of other stuff. So pachi pachi is like the sound of hands clapping or the sound of fireworks going off. So pachi, pachi, pachi. That that and we would say boom and boom is true for some fireworks, right? Those big ones that go up and go boom and you hear the light, you kind of feel it. But then the the pachipachi pachi ones are those little ones that go, krrr, you know how you know how they sound where they like all kind of crackle in the air. That yeah. would be pachipachi pachi in Japanese. And I like that. I like that noise because I feel like it's even better than crackle. Although oh, crackle's pretty good.
0: Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you got our guy in the blizzard. I'm sure when he's walking, he's got the ice crackling under his feet. Just another thing to worry about. We should get this guy out of trouble with these last couple. What do you think?
1: Yeah, let's 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 get him somewhere where he can eat something crispy. Haha, <laughs> see, crispy.
0: Okay, so next up is something I certainly use a lot and a lot of um, children's authors use and poets. It's just alliteration. Alliteration is when you repeat the same sound at the beginning of words kind of put together, right? Yeah, absolutely. So alliteration might be the winter winds whipped, right? No, oh, there you go. Three Ws, or the far frosts froze his fingers. The fierce frosts froze his fingers. Yeah. The fierce and frigid frosts froze his fingers. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So we're not exactly helping him out there to get this guy out of a little bit of trouble. We can say maybe a, a lonely lantern lined. You wouldn't a lonely lantern wouldn't line something, because to line something implies implies a lot of them. So, um, lifted lanterns lined
1: a lane. How about how about a a, f- a feeble flicker faintly glimmered upon the horizon? I, I broke the alliteration with glimmered, but I feel like feeble flicker faintly is pretty good. No, and you didn't. You didn't help the man either. There was a two part challenge. In well, you know, it's on. it's 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 beckoning him. He can you know he can then you know, <laughs> he can then lugubriously lumber, uh, labor. Towards the uh, towards the faintly flickering. And so this last one. So wait, we've we've so far gone through. We first got the simile: the wind howled like a wolf. Or we can do it as a metaphor: the wind was a howling wolf, chasing him through the storm. We've got personification: the cold bit into his his uh, his toes, and uh, the snowflakes danced about him. All right, and then we had
0: idiom, which was the dead of winter. Oh, again idiom just a phrase that it doesn't doesn't mean anything literally but you know the meaning just from kind of growing up in the language. Mm-hmm. And then what's next? We got uh, onomatopoeia.
1: Um yeah, onomatopoeia. The 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 ice crickled and cracked underneath his feet. And then there's alliteration. A faintly flickering flame uh beckoned on the horizon and he found a Oh, you can't switch to No, no, lifted no. You got to lin- use this. You can't alliterate the whole thing. I mean, if you got three words oh, in a row, that disagree, start with the same. disagree. Oh, no, you
0: gotta do. You gotta find two into for alliteration. It starts with
1: F. This is true. If you all listen to Stories podcast, we listen to years of Stories podcast. Dan has an alliteration problem. He loves alliteration so much. When he gets going, every single word starts with that same sound. He loves it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a problem. I'd say it's a gift. Maybe it's, a talent. It's a feature. It's a. <laughs> It's a bonus, but yes, alliteration, the lifted lanterns lined the what the lane, the lonely lane, the lonely lane, which led up to a lovely landing
0: that sums it up. I think, except for our last one I want to hit on here, Oh, which is hyperbole. Oh, a favorite. Now I love hyperbole more than anything in the world.
1: <laughs> that y'all was a joke. Cause that was in fact a hyperbole. Yeah. So what's hyperbole? It is an overstatement. It is the extremest of extreme statements. Exaggerations, basically big exaggerations. Yes. Yes. This is uh, this is Dan can't tell a, can't, can't write a sentence without alliteration in it. That's not true. That's not true. He can, um, but I'm overstating it to try to suggest that he writes with a lot of alliteration. Yeah, you could do go back to this
0: winter. Go back to our go back to our man of the snow. He's almost saved now, but you know we could see like the snowflakes fell as big as his head. You know, not true literally, but just gives
1: his idea of these big snowflakes, right? Each snowflake that hit his face felt like a hammer blow. No, of course they didn't. <laughs> There's no way they felt like a hammer blow, but it's an extreme description.
0: Yeah, or you know. Maybe he just felt like he walked a million miles. I don't know. We kind of made it sound like he did, didn't we? You know, you could say he was buried in snow. You're not literally buried. Maybe it's up to your knees, but you feel buried in snow. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like your hands are cold as ice. They're clearly not ice cubes, but they're cold as ice, which again is a simile, but also a hyperbole,
1: right? These are overlap to these things. Yeah, you can't literally be as cold as ice because then you, your hands would actually be frostbitten and fall off. Right, why don't you just give me some general hyperboles you might hear in the world? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like there are so many we use every day. Oh my God, that is the best thing I've ever heard. It's probably that's not the best thing yeah. you've ever heard, but you know, you're trying to say you really like it and you're excited by it. Yeah. So
0: hungry I could eat a horse is an idiom and a hyperbole. So it's an idiom because that's an old saying and it's a hyperbole because you're not so hungry you could eat a whole horse. That's insane. Ooh, that's too much. Ooh, I'm
1: dead. I'm dead tired. That's an idiom in hyperbole, too, because you're not really as tired as a dead person. Yeah, or if you you die of embarrassment, right? Oh, yeah. Gosh. And haven't we all felt like that? But you're not actually dying. That's hyperbole. So these are all hyperbole.
0: Hyperbole can be a great way to get across the idea by putting putting out the extremist example of that, right? Okay, yes. And so, again, stay away from the cliche, but do do feel free to use hyperbole in in your descriptions. like Especially when you're in a character's head, can we,
1: as people, think and talk in hyperbole all the time. Okay, so let's list them all up. Final list. Simile, the wind howled like a wolf. Metaphor, the wind was a howling wolf. Oh, then we got
0: personification, which is the cold bit into him. The wind mocked him. This is giving non-human things, human traits, personification. And then we have idiom, which is a uh, a phrase that kind of has a meaning beyond the literal, a commonly used phrase. And for an idiom, we could have the dead of winter or dog tired
1: or even dead tired. Yep. Then we have onomatopoeia, which is the words that create a sound that's like the actual sound. So the ice crickle crackled under his feet. And then there's Dan's favorite alliteration, which is starting a sentence. Oh, with- let me help you out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to you, Dan. Yes. No, no. What was your F1? I want to f I want to get this done. What's the F1? Uh, the, uh, a faintly flickering, feeble light beckoned from over the horizon. I just wanted those first F sounds, but I'm willing to change it. I don't need to go the whole sentence. You're the one who's like, you commit, you go the whole sentence with the same sound. What was the what was it? The feeble Okay, a feeble flame faintly flickered. Fascinating. <laughs> fascinating you got
0: a feeble flame faintly flickered fascinating leading to lifted lanterns lighting a lonely lane
1: Oh god. That y'all don't don't alliterate like Dan does. If you're going to alliterate, do two words, maybe three. Don't go a whole sentence that way it starts to feel like a like a gimmick. Well, oh, yeah, it
0: depends on your audience, right? So if I'm writing, you know, sometimes on stories podcast, totally. the ages reigned, but sometimes the story for little kids. And alliteration works good for little kids. It's uh, memorable, it's uh, it's fun. And it's fun. Right. So it's you all in your audience. It. Like if you're writing for younger Definitely. crowds, you can be a little sillier with this stuff and you can go a little more over the top. Absolutely. But what if you're trying to write more serious stuff? Yeah. Then I wouldn't really use
1: alliteration at all. Yeah. I haven't heard, you know, a great example of that is I I definitely in Giga city um, in, in the original um, Firefly series, there wasn't any, there was very little, if any alliteration, but then, you know, in some of your fairy tales, there's a lot of really fun, playful alliteration. um,
0: There's still some alliteration in, in, but only superhero style alliteration, right? Like, Firefly is alliterative. Right. And so is Jill J's, her code yep. name. But that's just off the tradition of Spider-Man being Peter Parker or Clark Kent, right? It's like a lot of these superhero names are alliterative
1: names. Bruce. The Tower Banner. Twins. The Tower Twins. I always like them. Giga City Guardians, yeah. Yep. I, I mean, hey, Giga City Guardians, Giga City Ghosts. And in, in, in comics, you see that a lot, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the two-word rule, right? Like, a little bit of it can make a term stick. So things like TikTok, right? Like, a lot of brand names use alliteration to make themselves very memorable, and sort of lasting, leave an impression.
0: All this figurative language, it's stuff you're probably already using in your writing, but it can help to be a little more aware of it and think where to place it and when to go hard on it and when to ease back. And just think about it like tools in the toolbox It's stuff you can use when it's right. And um, you you don't always need the same tool all the time and then your writing can get stale, in fact, if you're always, uh, to switch metaphors, if you're always reaching for the same brush in your artist kit. Which uh, I don't. I still don't know what that's called. I gotta look that up. But yeah, <laughs> as you, you know, as you have you have different stuff you can do, different techniques, different vibes, right? So
1: just uh, you know, use what works when it works, and experiment with it. Yeah, and and listen for it. That's another trick. Listen for it and look for it in the books you read, in your podcasts, any kind of place you find stories. Listen for how the authors you really like use figurative language and have those moments of like, oh, that was a dope simile, or like, oh yeah, all right, metaphor. Hey, check it out. He's flexing some, you know, onomatopoeia. She's got a little bit of uh a little bit of idiom in there. Is that really a cliche? Like, do I like it or is it kind of like overdone? And that'll let you get that feeling. All right. So that was our our cover. Thank you, Dan. You walked me through. Like, that's the whole list. I think I use all of those, but don't always think about the terms by name, and it was kind of nice to have a refresher. Yeah, just something
0: to think about. And uh, for all you kids out there writing, just uh, another great thing to have in the old toolbox slash artists role kit.
1: You can go looking for them in, uh, in Starsworn and GigaCity Guardians too, uh, GigaCity Ghosts, the games to play at home. There's a lot of those, that figurative language in the read-alouds to set the scenes. So that's
0: all the figurative language we're going to cover today. There's other examples, I'm sure, but these are the major ones. These are the big players And, uh, you know, thanks for walking through with me, Michael. It's always a pleasure, Daniel. Next week, we have a star sworn for you. And then after that, we get a couple new things on the horizon and uh, back to Giga City sooner or later.
1: Ooh, I got so many plans. Bye. Much love, everybody. Bye.